Welcome, my fellow thought criminals, enemies of the state, and feral humans, wherever you might be. It's the Jack Blood Show, exclusively on the Ocelli Radio Network. Got a good show for you today. It is the 29th day of December, the year 2022. I'm Jack Blood, your narrator, your radio gun reporting for the next two hours. Got a great interview for you today. Allegedly. You guys know how that works. It's, uh, we'll see. Our last couple of guests canceled or didn't show at the last minute, so we're not even announcing guests anymore on this show. But if this works out, uh, one of the old school truthers coming up to join us in about 30 minutes or less on the broadcast today. At some point, uh, I think because we are heading into a new year, the dreaded 23, I'm going, yeah, you guys know that one, right? You ever see the movie 23? It's a weird number. And I'd like to do some, I used to do this back in the day. I'd like to, we don't do the year end in review because all we're going to get is election politics and, and war and the usual suspects, you know, I don't know, whatever. I don't think you want to hear that. I never do. I skip that. But I will give some predictions for the year 23. Uh, really, it's the year 24 you got to watch out for. Uh, but we'll see. Hey, we are uh, we are passengers on this train that is called life. And that's how it works. I'm sorry I missed you guys. I hope you guys all had a great Christmas last week. Uh, we did okay, thanks to some of you at the Blood House, the Blood Compound. It, we don't expect much, so <laughs> we do okay on that. 
Uh, I got a bunch of news for you today, and if you haven't heard, uh, China is about to declare war on Guam, Taiwan, and everyone else. Well, well, that's coming. I don't know if that's a prediction level stuff, but that's just the news. Um, fighter jets are clashing in the South China Sea. I mean, I guess, is that a distraction or is that real? I'll let you guys kind of answer that. Pele is dead. Do you guys remember Pele? When I was a kid, you know, before soccer became what it is in this country, which is the biggest sport in America, <clears throat> allegedly, it, uh, Pele was the man. If you wanted to play soccer, you uh, sorry, football, you would play it because Pele was a magician and he lived a pretty good and long life and allegedly is dead. Did he take the vaccine? I, I'm allowed to say that, right? Also today, Vivian Westwood, the author of Punk Rock Fashion in London back in the day, she made it to 81, and she went today as well. Did she also? Is that another vaccine? Ca I mean, she's 81, and Pele was, sorry, I don't know, uh, he was 70-something, 80-something. So we just don't know. There is uh, coup attempts and uh, a massive unrest in Brazil, uh, they've arrested four in a coup attempt. Uh, Bolsonaro is uh, heading to Mar-a-Lago to confer with Trump. That never works out good for people. I would not do that. Speaking of which, the last guy that did that is now missing. It's yay. He's missing. Nobody knows where he is. Did he get kidnapped and, and scrubbed? If uh, Ye comes out tomorrow and just is apologizing everywhere and goes back to the blue pill matrix, um, would you be a little suspicious? I am not saying that. Uh, the MAGA folks are set to block McCarthy from being Speaker of the House. As you probably know, I don't do a lot of politics, really. We try not to do that too much to you. Uh, but I think it would be a good idea. I, I don't know. I mean, you call them, this is, you know... This is a matter of perspective, depending on the light source and how you look at things. It could be and what your information is input in, input out, garbage in, garbage out. It, it, it could work in, in a number of different ways. <laughs> You're susceptible to it, as am I. I admit it. Um, but I'm just saying. Uh the first, this is a good one, the first marijuana dispensary has opened its doors in Manhattan. You, not in Brooklyn, not anywhere else. They have one, they have legalized recreational ma marijuana, allegedly, uh, medical to, it, it's somewhere in the middle there. They're scaring everyone. They have one dispensary. This, this is not how we did it here in Seattle. You don't just open one dispensary and go, okay, we did it, yay. I mean, it is a victory, I guess, <laughs> on some levels. Um, this has created a response to go after, to use the police to go after people who are illegally selling marijuana. This is kind of where we were at when this all happened. Now, I live in a marijuana city. There are pot stores on every corner, like liquor stores. Uh, there are no lines. It's cheaper. It's it's generally better. Uh, there are no more pot dealers <laughs> in my city, which I think has, uh, this is what the guys from Leap 
law enforcement against uh, prohibition that we'd had on years ago. Hey, man, we don't want to be doing this. We don't want this in our job description, having to crack down and bust people for marijuana. It it creates a dangerous situation and um, leads to, I think, a much bigger problem. But uh, that's where they're at today. You imagine standing in in line to buy a, a little pot in Manhattan today? <laughs> the line's going to be around the block. They have one, one. That was how they rolled this out. I, I would love to know, and I have not researched this. You're welcome to, and please send me the information if you have it, because there's a lot of things we're looking into. Uh, who's the one guy that got? <laughs> is it Chuck Schumer's nephew? Who, who got the one pot store in – because we've seen a lot of people, like a boner, for instance. Remember he used to be Speaker of the House at one point, and he's got – he was very anti-marijuana, and now he's in the marijuana business, as we all know. Um, I'd like to see who got the one license in all of Manhattan, in all of the boroughs – to sell marijuana. I would just love to, to know the answer to that question. I'm sure it's completely ubiquitous, has nothing to do with anything, and that person is not connected whatsoever. Uh, those are, uh, I guess, some of the, the basic headlines. Um, there's all kinds of uh, claptrap and talk about the dollar and what the dollar is doing. I mean, we... I think, you know, from the experts I listen to, we're in a pretty good position (laughs) with the dollar right now. I think it's going to be okay for about two years. And then all the FTX stuff uh, lands, and and, uh, yeah, we're going to be in a digital currency. I I posted a a pretty interesting video. If you go to my YouTube channel, it's YouTube Deadline Live TV. Yes, we're still trying to get on Rumble. I did try to post a quick little uh, pre-recorded video today on Rumble. We had uh, 50 guys, uh, more than 50 people, subscribe, but then they told me I needed 100 people, et cetera, et cetera. You guys know how it goes. I would love to be able to do that. I would love to be able to simulcast this show there because the, the Achelli Radio Network kicked off of YouTube. I'm about to be. That's just how that goes. But I seriously, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I seriously could use a, a little help in that department. Now, I, do I do this too often? I just forgot. But my headline story today is this. The ringleader, now this is a guy, I guess, who believes in aliens and whatnot, uh, but he's the ringleader, the spiritual master in the plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, they say because of the COVID lockdowns, uh, that was their initial excuse to all this, sentenced to 16 years in prison. He could, could have gotten life, uh, 16 to 20. The leader of the foiled plot by members of a right-wing militia group to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer was sentenced to 16 years in prison yesterday, uh, sorry, Tuesday, in a U.S. District Court. Adam Fox, 39 years old, he looks much older, uh, was found guilty in August by a federal court in uh, Grand Rapids, that's the other one, I guess, uh, conspiring to abduct the governor of Illinois and conspiring to use a weapon of mass destruction in a scheme prosecutors said was intended to spark the second American Revolution. That's, that's, it's kind of like January 6th. 
if if these are the only plots we have to worry about, then why be worried first of all? And then if you're for mayhem and overthrowing the United States government, you'd have to say this is kind of weak. Co-defendant Barry Croft Jr. He's 47. Like Fox, was a member of the Three Percenters Militia Group. He was convicted of the same charges at the same trial. Scheduled for sentencing, that was yesterday, Wednesday. Prosecutors described him as the mastermind behind the plot to break into Governor Whitmer's vacation home, kidnap her at gunpoint, and take her to stand, quote-unquote, trial on bogus treason charges and face execution. Personally, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. The more the more push there is on the people and the more freedoms that we lose and, and the less hope we have, the more people are going to get desperate and do stuff. In this case, though, that's not exactly what happened. And I think the reason that uh, Fox, this, uh, Fox uh, the spiritual mastermind and leader, he is, I guess, the blind sheik, if you're thinking about 911 in this particular case the reason he probably only got to 16 to 20 and not life in prison is maybe he he pled out i have to think that he was handled pretty hard by lawyers in this case because the last thing they want is the truth to come out on this i wonder how many people if you go out on the street and poll people you play a marked dice, you go out on the street, you poll people on do they know that this entire thing was made up by the FBI and it was an FBI plot. I wonder how many people would actually know that. See, it's pretty important and it it ticks at the old false flags itch that you have. You, you know, how do you prove there's a false flag? Well, they... They do this, and they constantly do it, and they constantly... Look, we can go back to 9-11 on this. We can go back to Oklahoma City on all this. And we could see there's not a shadow of a doubt that either the plot complete 1993 World Trade Center bombing, 100% FBI-inspired, talking about the blind sheik, it... it uh, and then again, ask... Ask people if they know that. I, I used to use that as a prime example of why 9-11 might have been an inside job because 1993 was admittedly an inside job. It was on the late night news. If we had that clip, I'd play it now. With Dan Rather talking about how in 1993, the World Trade Center bombing, it, it was a completely an FBI sting operation. The FBI actually made the bomb. It's on tape. We know that. That we know. And this is all being pretty much swept under the rug. It, but I have to think, largely, that half this country is, is – well, let's say the country is divided in thirds. You are a loyal Democrat. You are a loyal Republican or MAGA or whatever, and you are none of those things. So there's, I guess, three sections. A very small percentage of, of that are people that listen to a show like this or people like myself, people that I hang out with and talk to. That every time, 
you know, every time something happens, you have to look at it. Was there a drill? Is this an FBI sting operation? And more times than not, that's the crazy thing about it. Say 51% of the time, that's what it is. And we can explain and break down why it works this way. Uh, you know, you got to have a feather in your cap. You got to keep your budget. It's flowing. Um, it, it's used for a political stunt. Of course, in the case of uh, Gretchen Whitner, the governor of Michigan, and this kidnapping plot, this happened during an election year. And I thought it was pretty effective. You gotta hand it to him. I mean, hey, as an October surprise or what have you, as a way to lump in all MAGA people and Trump people into this, uh, this kind of a plot. These are the kind of people you're dealing with. They're all militia. Of course, January 6th fits into this pretty well. But the way that this has been shoveled, not swept, shoveled under the carpet, it's a little bit nauseating. Back in the day, uh, I don't know, what was that now, about uh, 10, 12, 13 years ago, we covered the Hutari militia, also in Michigan. Uh, Michigan is, is uh, ground zero. Michigan and Montana, I guess, are ground zeros for, for militias, though I've met them all over the country, and most of them are pretty good people, quite frankly. Um, I judge people. Well, and what they say and what they and what they do, more importantly, and so we kind of look at, at that. That's pretty important. I, I've been involved uh, very intimately with people like Oath Keepers and others, so I got a pretty good behind-the-curtain look at, at what drives a lot of these people, and sometimes it's not for me to examine the motivation. I, I examine the results. The results are very important. Um, I could see how because of how Governor Whitmer acted during the lockdowns and some of the things she was doing. It was uh, quite fascistic. It was totalitarian uh, on many levels, and I could see how that could actually drive people into doing something like this. I, what I can't understand is how, and I know this had to have happened with the people that were eventually, some people were let go, some people were uh, exonerated, some people were convicted, as we just saw yesterday, uh, or and sentenced, that at some point you did enough, you're on tape enough saying a, a lot of weird stuff that, you know, just go ahead and not say anything about the FBI. Just, just, just shovel that under the rug again and... And take your medicine. Hey, man, at some point, I, I got to think, too, you're, you're a little dumb for falling for it. And that these are the people they target. So when we were covering Hutari, you know, uh, again, uh, almost uh, 10 or more years ago, they were completely set up. And I think the only person that actually took a, a little jail time was, was the leader of that particular militia group, who, by the way, did a lot of things to help people in disaster zones and whatnot. I mean, a militia is a bad word these days. I get it. But, um, you know, they were actually pretty cool people all in all. And, and, uh, we were friends with some of them and, and most of them got away. And this was after years of being held without bail, um, years of being smeared, years of, uh, the, the propaganda that surrounded these people, that they had some plot to overthrow the government. And, it turns out that it was all done by FBI uh, instigators, the Woody Woodpeckers of our uh, our police and, and justice system. 
the informants are defended their roles in this trial. We targeted them. All we did was give them a little bit of bait, a carrot, and uh, they just went for it. They just went all, all in on it. Now, if you know how this kind of went down, as they go to kidnap the, the governor of Michigan, Governor Whitmer, um, there's a van. I think something like 80% of the people in the van were agents. There was no chance that this was ever going to get off the ground. They were completely set up. And uh, Croft and Fox uh, are the ones that, uh, I guess, kind of helped and fell for this the most and led the way. So they found their patsy. They used this as a straw man in the 2020 election. I mean, what more do we need than that? So I just think um, it's funny to me how you were this into to your ideology if you're a militia guy, if you're – you know, going along with this FBI plot, but not enough to where when you go to trial, this is, I guess this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. When you go to trial, you're not going to say anything. Isn't that crazy? All the people that we've seen involved in, in, uh, somewhat surreptitious activities, much of them that involved the FBI, they, uh, set ups and sting ops and whatnot. They always clam up and shut up and never defend themselves in trial. It makes you wonder kind of what happens behind the scenes while they're in custody. And and part of that is just, you know, the legal apparatus. Part of it is just, you know, your lawyer is uh, smarter than you. <laughs> he, he's very good at conv- – it, it's like the, the doctor when you go and they tell you how you need the newest vaccine and that you'll die if you don't get it. And, you know, they're the expert. They have the white coat on. It's like, all right, stick your arm out. Bad analogy? I don't know. Kind of not. And so – Either their lawyers just completely convince them to lay down and take medicine that, um, I guess, part of it is, I think, in some ways, they like being famous, and, you know, here they are, kind of, they want to, I think this is a major part of it, they they want to be looked at as heroes by all the other militia people, So they and they don't want, you know, it's like somebody that gets swindled. You, know, you swindle a rich guy or girl or lady or whatever, and a lot of times they don't report it because they don't want their friends, their family, their associates to know that they were that stupid. So it just, to me, I really, uh, I really try to understand that mentality. If I was willing to go that far, I would go to trial. I would represent myself, whatever. I would get a lawyer that that it's gonna tell the tale, I would put the FBI on trial the entire time, which they did in the earlier trials in this this kidnapping of uh, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, governor of Michigan, and that all worked. Somehow now this doesn't work, and I just have to think there are some extraneous factors going on here of, of people who are, obviously you're pretty easily manipulated, right, if you fell for this, this whole you have to know that anyone you're talking to, if you're out there in a subversive group, you have to know that anyone you talk to, anyone you speak to, any group, there's going to be, especially if you've you've become any kind of a threat, that you're going to be a target. That anyone you could be talking to, 
I mean, you could ask my friend Sally Castillo, who's the, the hero DEA agent who wrote the great book Powder Burns, exposing the phony drug war, sold a gun to an undercover FBI agent, went to prison for two years. We tried to stop it. He ended up pleading out, too, which he shouldn't have done. You look at Randy Weaver and and what happened with those guys, and he sold a sawed-off shotgun to an undercover agent. He was, you know, they were infiltrated the entire time. I mean, I think at this point in 2022 or whatever, 2020, if this was when this all took place, that you'd have to be pretty aware of that, right? You'd have to, you have to have some kind of intuition. You have to be a little suspect. This is what happened to Edna Lane Brown. They trusted someone and they came in and eventually those were the guys that put the cuffs on them. Thankfully, they're all out now except for Ed. Ed is a double down. I, I almost have a little respect for that. Uh, gotta go to break in about, uh, three minutes. Do you guys know about these massive attacks going on our energy grid? People are sabotaging energy grids, your electric grids, all over the country. This is the, the least talked about story. I know we're very, see, I mean, here we go. We segue from that one story into the next. We, we're, we're very concerned about terrorism in this country. We are in a proxy war with the superpower Russia and China, I guess, if you want to put it that way, and India, I mean, you know, whatever. And I guess they don't want us to panic. What is it? This is something that seems extremely coordinated. Now it just happened up here in my state in Washington. Several power stations were attacked. And it looks like they're using kind of these long-range sniper rifles or they're setting fire to them. There's a couple of different methods. It's obviously more than one person. It's a group of people. It's obviously some sort of a conspiracy because, again, I mean, what is that? Two people talking about doing something illegal that no one knows about. Okay, well, well, in this case, you know, you've got dozens and dozens of people who seem to be working hand-in-hand to attack the United States national power grid and their power stations. If you know how this works, you could really do some serious damage. I don't think the people that are doing this really know how it works. Now, Antifa and others have been uh, potentially suspects in this. <clears throat> I would look very closely at uh, in a domestic realm. And I would also wonder how much of this is problem, reaction, solution, a Hegelian dialectic with everyone dying in the middle of winter, needing power, and probably complaining a little bit at how much power costs, and you should. When we get to the solution part of the, pro of the show, <laughs> the deprogramming as we call it, hey, we could, uh, we could take that back. That's something we could take back. That's something we should look at very clearly, of course, because of this massive weather and the media loves a weather story. They won't shut up about it. And I get it. It's news. More local news than national news, but, um, it, there's been a lot of time spent on it and how 
our infrastructure, our water, and all the rest of it is is just up for grabs. Our power grids are susceptible. I don't know. If we weren't so distracted by all the BS that happens constantly on a second-by-second basis that we have to try to keep up with, maybe we could do something about all of this. What's going on with our water? What's going on with our power? But somebody has seen uh, this as a weakness and, and is attacking. Now, whether it's the system attacking itself or whether it's a legitimate, and I'm always very skeptical of this, whether it's a legitimate group of people attacking our power stations, again, thank, thankfully they don't know how it works, because if you attack one, they work in a domino scenario. It, it could be pretty drastic, uh, but apparently these people are somewhat amateurs, which leads me to think it's, it could be somebody like Antifa, but who knows? There's enough people that want chaos and order out of chaos that it could be almost anyone. But it's just surprising that there's almost no reporting on it. Okay, I'm a little late. We're going to go to break. We're going to get our mystery guest, hopefully, right during this break. You'll come back with us if you stay tuned. It's the Jack Blood Show. deeply perhaps you're not in deep enough maybe you're thinking about getting started wallstreetwindow.com michael swanson the brilliant author of the war state understood these trends professionally for many years and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge wallstreetwindow.com go there now go there now go there now hey everybody this is kevin booth from american drug war and shadow of sophia you're listening to the Jack Blood Show, so everybody hang in there or get out. Go ahead, call it. Hey, I'm interested in the truth about the JFA assassination. Right. Well, what do you want to know? Judy Baker's wild claim, Oswald girlfriend, she knew Ruby and Barry, cancer weapons. Really? I imagine I could claim I have four wheels. It doesn't make me a wagon, but okay. Oswald was on the kill team and trying to prevent the murder of John Kennedy. Come on now. Has a real effort on the JFA assassination Look into her claims? Go to Amazon.com. Enter Judith Baker in her own words. You'll get results for a digital copy of a book where Walt Brown utilizes her own words and the known evidence in the case to get at, well, (laughs) a different perspective, let's say. You can get Judith Barry Baker in her own words from the author himself, signed, if you request it, by contacting Dr. Brown at K-I-A-S-J-F-K at AOL.com. It's a fun book, and it actually dissects the many, many fantastic claims. Judith Barry Baker in her own words. Thank you for all the great information. Do you 
like history, real history, that you were never taught in schools. Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia. By author Mike Swanson, with new documentation never seen before, that will open your eyes to events that led up to this. Why? The Vietnam War, nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 1961. Get your copy today at Amazon.com. Why? The Vietnam War by author Mike Swanson. When a fan of the Ocelli Effect calls in to the Ocelli Effect. I just wanted to call in and tell you and Michael Swanson and JP Sicilian, all of the guests that you have, how much I love your show. Always interesting. It's always informative. I just wanted to tell you in person on the phone. I mean, I love you. I love your show. I, I love everything you do. I will always be there to support you. You know that. We appreciate you so much. Uh, you, you have okay. no idea. Thanks. And most of our fans just send hate mail and death threats. Ocelli.com. Revelation through conversation. You're listening to the Jack Blood Show. Be bold. And my, and my voice will come to your aid. Happy Jack wasn't told, but he was The kids would all sing, he would sing the So they rode on his head in the Welcome back to the broadcast. It is the Jack Blood Show exclusively on the Ocelli Radio Network and wherever we distribute it out worldwide on the web. I am Jack Blood, again, your narrator, your Radio Gone reporting. So Jason Burmis is with us. Been a real long time since I talked to him. He's one of the OGs in the truth movement, known for, of course, uh, the great film Loose Change 2 and 3, which at in its day, before live streaming was taking place on every channel everywhere, in the competitive world we know as a streaming video, uh, it was the most downloaded video in the history of the Internet. Of course, uh, he has continued on with his activism and uh, with his voice on the America Show, Jason, uh, Red Voice Media, and people can find you on YouTube all over the place. But, man, it's so cool to have you on and talk to you. I appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks for having me, Jack. And, yeah, Red Voice Media, um, you know, they recently picked me up. Uh, we actually call it Reality Rants. Today's show was the America show. But it's just nice to see that there are alternatives out there that kind of let me do whatever I want. You know, it may be Red Voice Media, but as you know, I'm certainly no conservative. I've never considered myself a liberal or in the uh, confines of traditional politics. So it's kind of a breath of fresh air when you're you're just told, hey, do your show, right? 
if you're not with us, you're with the terrorists. So I guess uh, you're you're one of those, man. I get accused of it. I'm I'm probably way more left and liberal than than my listeners are. Uh, that's for sure, but I would be the first one accused because we talk about wokeism. We, you know, kind of talk about how when we were growing up, they would say, you know, the left, the left is crazy and the right is wrong. So we just kind of knew that going in that we weren't, uh, we weren't on a level playing field and I really wasn't trying to uh, talk to to conservatives or liberals as much as I was just trying to talk to people. And I know you do that too. You know where the bodies are buried, and I think people can learn a lot by by listening to you. You're one of the of all the guys that did loose change. You're the only one I think that's still in this game, so to speak, right? Uh, sort of, but you know, at the same time, uh, Dylan and Corey, uh, they've tried to make some commercial stuff. Actually, Dylan, I believe, it was last year. Uh, put out a film called Asteroid, but he also did uh, two separate films in the last three to five years uh, on 9-11 Truth. One of them is, I believe it's called uh, Building 7 or, or Just 7, and it is about the Alaska Fairbanks study. Uh, excellent film, a little bit under an hour. And then more recently, he did uh, Unspeakable where he uh, travels with, um, I believe it's uh, McIlvain, Bob McIlvain, who lost his son on 9-11 and, and kind of takes you through that journey trying to get uh, justice for his son. Both are very powerful, and, and I commend Dylan for doing that. I know he's uh, had some people come down on him for certain things he was quoted at, uh, in in the you know mainstream media, et cetera, uh, but his heart's in the right place, and uh, I actually saw him last April. Well, you guys all grew up in the same town, and that's how you got mixed up in this. Um, I, I covered the first loose change, and then the beginning of the second loose change, um, about 99.9% .9 positive. I did the first ever interview with with, uh, with Dylan Avery on that movie because his mom was listening, and then later can you know wrote me a letter of, of thank you. And then you guys went on to be one of, one of the most talked about things, um, not just on on the internet, but mainstream media you know i guess first of all you guys are now my age when i started interviewing you that's the weird <laughs> thing and you guys have gray hair and whatnot now i know i don't want to bring that up it's not like a it's not a bad thing but it's just funny to see man 20 years how much has has gone by us we don't hear a lot of talk about 9-11 anymore. If we look at people and, you know, want to talk about Tucker Carlson and some other stuff, you know, but we just don't, we just don't hear that coming up. We hear JFK stuff. We hear alien stuff. We hear all kinds of uh, Twitter conspiracies and all the rest of it, man. But that almost never comes up anymore. And at the anniversary, when we're at the anniversary point, you'd think there'd be a whole dump or a download maybe there'd be some files that could be released and redacted or something but it seems like nobody wants to put their flagpole in 9-11 truth anymore i just don't see that at all and maybe that has something to do with trump i don't know but it seems to have really gone by the wayside i have to agree with you for the most part jack it's something that i dwell on uh still constantly on the anniversary i'll do a watch along of either loose change final cut or my film fabled enemies i often point out that uh joe biden the poopy pants puppet in chief 
uh, actually is on camera twice via Luke Radowski admitting he met with one of the money men behind 9-11, the uh, Pakistani ISI chief, General Mahmoud Ahmed. The last time that we were able to get any kind of significant file dumps is all the way back. Actually, it's almost on a five-year anniversary. It'll be a five-year anniversary coming up on uh, New Year's when the Dark Overlord back in 2018 had these layers of documents. And somehow we were able to get three of these layers of documents um, released. However, two layers have never been released, and they were looking for a million-dollar Bitcoin bounty. If you follow the news about the Dark Overlord, somewhere right after that third data dump, uh, a few of the members did start getting arrested and rounded up. Uh, I hope that one day those keys can come out because there was actually a lot of significant information that I was able uh, to garner from those dumps just doing keyword research myself, and I can only imagine what other people would have found. Well, and that's the thing. There was oh, I mean, look, we we started off. I I was on air the day of nine eleven on a fifty thousand watt radio station trying to figure out what was happening within minutes of what was happening, and I, I that radio station was in Providence, Rhode Island, which people don't know is about two and a half hours away from New York City, and and it it was a pretty dark day. And then as we kind of rolled through, especially into twenty twenty two, we began to learn uh, so much. And then there are things that just on the level of Occam's razor that don't make sense. You know what I mean? It's the simplest answer is usually true. So it's the simplest answer that Osama bin Laden, you know, knew that that day the drills would be replicating the exact same thing that he was doing and they would, you know, confuse NORAD, which, you know, we saw in the Vanity Fair NORAD tapes. Like, did he know that? Did he know that uh, Building 7 would just collapse into its own footprint? I mean, you know, how much of that can you ascribe to a CIA asset such as uh, Osama bin Laden? And I think we came up with a lot of really good stuff in those first five or so years. Is it just one of those things like JFK, Jason Burmis, where... Everyone just by osmosis knows that it was a false flag now and it's not worth talking about. I wonder if that's it. You know, I wish that were the case, but there are still those, especially in the now younger generation coming up, I'd say the teens into even uh, their 30s, which still kind of buy into the official version one way or, like you said, just in the background, believe, yeah, of course it was corrupt, but who cares, uh, both of which are extremely dangerous because it has allowed the proliferation of not only the war of terror overseas and what was the beta testing of the drones, of the robotics, of the biometrics, but it built the police state here at home via the Patriot Act, via Homeland Security, and then into the fusion centers, and now uh, into the very little-known program, uh, Signature Reduction, which I don't hear enough about. And I've always said that until we get to the truth of that very day, then we can never uh, think to get our constitutional republic back through, you know, now years of studying this stuff. I, I'd say things really went off the rail uh, post-World War II when things began to be born classified and we had black sites such as Area 51 uh, that were dealing with not only propulsion systems and weapon systems, uh, but bio and geoengineering as well. I mean, it's a lot to take in, but 
For me, the big disappointment, I guess, with Trump, among many things, was that Trump kind of played to the 9-11 truth audience, right? He, he said, well, maybe we will find out who really uh, was behind 9-11. And he had made comments on 9-11 that it was clearly uh, a controlled demolition and that he was in the uh, real estate game. You know, he was in the, the game of building skyscrapers and buildings, and uh, that would have j just been impossible. But then he promised us the JFK documents, not once but twice, and he failed to give them to us. And here we are today with over 3,000 documents still classified. And like you said, now that people accept it, you have guys like Tucker Carlson who, you know, Jack, when we were in this game, he was working for MSNBC. He had a bow tie. He was very establishment. Uh, he often mocked people like you and I who dared to question 9-11. Still does, yeah. by the way, uh, yeah. which is extremely unfortunate. Uh, but he's out there saying, no, there's no doubt that the CIA was involved in killing Kennedy, and now we have somebody who's seen the documents. And um, I, I wonder to myself whether or not that could be Trump. Uh, some people have suggested it's Tucker's father, as his Tucker's father worked with the Central Intelligence Agency and uh, other intelligence organizations uh, via the NATO alliance against Russia. But I uh, happened to interview Roger Stone, I think, uh, about three months ago. And, you know, I'm not here to be a cheerleader. Uh, Roger Stone, definitely, you know, I would have loved to ask him about Roy Cohn and other things. Um, but at the same time, I asked him about Trump's failure to declassify those documents twice. And Stone says, he, he claims anyway, that he's talked to the president about it, asked him himself. And uh, the president said what was behind it was so awful uh, that it couldn't become public. Uh, you know, Stone kind of spun it that Pompeo... Oops. that Pompeo had basically um, made it so that, you know, he didn't do it. I've never been a fan of Pompeo. Again, ex-head of the no. Central Intelligence Agency, shouldn't be trusted. Um, but I wonder with all the pressure on him, maybe that was the slip-in. You know, that the, I know that Tucker and him are indeed in contact. It could be just somebody who's on the review board, right? That's a possibility as well. Uh, but I can kind of see the ego of Trump leaking something like that. Again, that's speculation, Jack. Uh, but it's something I thought I'd put out there. Well, no, Trump is rogue. I, I believe there was a psyop built around him that is unprecedented, and, and he might have been left out of the loop almost in the same way I, I believe George Bush Jr. was kind of left out of the loop and not to be trusted on 9-11. Um, so, it, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves because I did want to ask you about uh, Tucker Carlson and this uh, – alleged conspiracy that Trump had leaked him these JF this JFK CIA information that would be that uh, rabbit hole first let me just say when we talked about fusion centers you just mentioned that mm -hmm. these are these are not only uh, holding facilities for people but they're massive massive data mining spying operations on massive geographical areas and we revealed that to people and of course nobody cared um, we've come a really long way since that it, you know operation gladio was another thing that happened in europe after world war Two. so again uh, just talking about your comments if people want to look into that that is uh, creating false flag to blame on the communists at least that was their excuse because we always get excuses and then at the end of the excuses we don't do that anymore uh, which is laughable and, and a joke um i interviewed uh 
uh, forget his, I always forget his last name, but he was on The Apprentice with Donald Trump. His name was George. It was, he was Trump's right hand man. And I interviewed him in the 2000s. Okay. They asked me, do I want to have him on? He had a book or something and I had him on, right? And so this is another one of those interviews, like my Tim Russert interview, where they hang up and they have phone problems and it, it, it goes like that, right? <laughs> um, G- GCN lost that interview and I was always pretty bummed about it, but I asked him about Silverstein and 9-11 and all of that. And he got, that's when he started getting really upset with me that, that, uh, Silverstein, who, if people don't know, owned the World Trade Center buildings, had bought them not long before 9-11, had them insured way more than they were worth, and who pretty much cashed out. Lucky, lucky Larry, they call him, Larry Silverstein. And he got pretty mad that I was even implicating him in any way regarding 9-11. I also interviewed Roger Stone a couple of times, and I would not let this go, because what Trump said leading up into, and a lot of people did fall for this, you're totally right to bring this up, that he was going to get to the bottom of 9-11, that he talked about bombs being on the plane, but what he did, and what you nail Roger Stone down on, it's the same thing when you get to the Epstein question. They just don't have answers with Trump and Epstein, and What Trump was saying was that they had bombs on the planes that would be the terrorists. And, and that's something that should be looked into. It had, there was no inside job in there at all. Like they didn't believe that at all. They don't believe it. And I think, you know, Trump has enough at stake in his business life that he's not saying that. I mean, I can't believe people fell for that, honestly. And they, so what ended up happening was, Trump, the Trump psyop got the militia people, they got the libertarians, they got the truthers, they got all those people, Jason. It was unbelievable to me. Well, well, let's be honest with ourselves. If you were watching those debates, and I certainly was watching those debates, right? I know a lot of people out there were watching those debates. He was the most honest candidate except for maybe Rand Paul uh, on the stage. And he was able to say things that Rand Paul wasn't able to say because he was coming at... Uh, as a perspective of a multi-billionaire who'd been donating to these people for generations, really since um, he started to take over his father's business. And before we get too far away from the 9-11 question and the implication of an inside job, you know, that's kind of what these political analysts are good at, and they're good at kind of like weaseling out, no, he didn't really mean that. Well, he doubled down on it just a few months ago during the Live Golf Tournaments. Um, He was asked about the Saudi Arabian involvement in 9-11 and the family's lawsuits, and he literally said, nobody knows who uh, did 9-11, and it's a shame because we should have gotten to the bottom of it by now. Well, Mr. Trump, you had four years in office where you could have at least spearheaded or vocalized that you wanted some kind of an investigative committee into many of the anomalous aspects of 9-11, and you could have also let people know just how many classified documents they are still not releasing, not just in regards to Saudi Arabia, but also other nation states, including Israel and Pakistan. And it was actually, I believe, just prior or uh, during, actually it was during the, the Trump presidency, that we did get a large amount of files regarding the quote-unquote dancing Israelis on 9-11, but instead of getting the pictures or the film from that incident where these people were allegedly cheering, we got photocopies with their faces blacked out and highly redacted documents of that day. Uh, I was actually in touch with the person 
who got those documents via FOIA requests. And to me, even what we saw uh, is extremely damning to that unit that I believe actually had a role in 9-11, even beyond documenting the event. Um, that might have been the documentation team, but as you know, Jack, uh, there were actually several teams in vans that we either they smelled explosives or, in the uh, case of the King Street van, it actually exploded. You can listen to the police um, chatter going back and forth saying that they've detained these people, and uh, it eventually leads to an incident where one of the police officers is continually beating one of the suspects. Uh, this is all in the public record, and just like I kind of mentioned before, and you did, because people have gotten away from 9-11 and there's not that many people talking about it, uh, that document dump really didn't get the attention it deserved. Yeah. Yeah, there were, there is nobody championing that really too much anymore. I, I mean, I try to every once in a while, but even me, it just, I feel like it falls on deaf ears. You're kind of referring to the 29 pages, right? No, 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 completely okay. separate. Uh, okay. in fact, if you, uh, if you look it up, I, I believe Mint Press did maybe the best uh, summation of it because they had a, a really large picture. And if you haven't seen it, Jack, the, the one main picture is these Israelis on the roof with the yeah. World Trade Center. Well, I'm well familiar with the dancing Israelis. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, yes but this is the, these are the pictures that they actually took. But instead of getting the film or the actual pictures, you get the photocopies where you can barely make out what's going on and still their faces are blacked out. In one of the pictures, uh, you can actually see one of these gentlemen holding up the lighter to the World Trade Center as it burns. Man, look, you've opened that can of worms, and I'm willing to go down there with you. Jason Burmis with us on the broadcast today. You know, if you look into the attack on the Lusitania, okay, uh, which initiated, it, it was a submarine shoot-down of a, a British ship, an international ship. They, they were all on that ship hoping that a submarine would hit them so that they can get the United States into the war. That was the whole thing. So I don't know if that particularly proves anything. What what does prove things in JFK is uh, the the issue of Permindex, uh, which I know Whitney Webb has brought up in her books um, with global intelligence and and how that could have been involved in the JFK assassination. If you get into who benefits, well. And then there was the issue that JFK wanted to get rid of their nuclear bombs or stop them from getting nuclear weapons. We can get into all that. But but it, with 9-11, I mean, who benefited? Look who benefits, and that's part of the equation. You know, prior knowledge, stand down, cover up, who benefits? That's how I – that's the mathematical equation I use to calculate if something's a false flag or not. You know, but but people can be happy that something happens. That doesn't actually prove anything. There is information that does prove things, and we always tried to follow the money on 9-11. That, and um, I had a guy break into my house and try to kill me. Well, years later, someone broke into my house and tried to kill me. Maybe that was the same guy, because in 1993, as we know, the attack on the World Trade Center was a FBI sting operation. They made the bomb. Like, that just never came up. And I always thought that was one of the most important components of 9-11. I still say that to this day, that and the cover-up. I mean, there you go. There's your ball of wax. You know, I'm so glad you brought up the 93 bombing. 
um, because it is a documented event where even the mainstream in passing had to admit it was the FBI that cooked up the bomb. What happened was John, John Antisev and his partner had recruited an Egyptian army officer uh, named Ahmed Salam. Ahmed Salam had infiltrated the blind sheiks, uh, uh, I guess you could call it a terror unit, but these people, I mean, when you looked at their IQ, they could barely do anything. Uh, basically, they got into a mosque, and they wanted to build a bomb. Well, Ahmed Salam got really suspicious when he said, yo, we're building a fake bomb, right, Jack? <laughs> and apparently they said, no, we're not. So that's when he starts. He's like, they won't listen. They won't listen. I told them not. And they said they had to use a real bomb because the case would be better. And then ultimately, uh, people like Scott Horton and others excuse all of this. Well, you know, Antisev, the agent that was handling Ahmad Salam, he was having an affair, uh, you know, with another girl in the FBI office and he took his eye off the ball. And that's why it happened. This is all on tape. And the great clip of Dan Rather on the nightly news going, this was an FBI sting operation the entire time. I mean, good luck finding that. I bet you that would be pretty hard to find on YouTube right now, <laughs> you know? No, I, ha I have uh, a part of that clip in Invisible Empire and New World Order to find, as well as the tape between Ahmed Salam and John Antisev, where he basically said, not basically, he says, you know, what a great, wonderful case. Your informant built the bomb. You know, I mean, literally saying, I built the bomb, he says he feels terrible that the bomb uh, went off and people died. A lot of people don't remember that eight people did actually lose their yeah. lives. And, and one of the things I always talked about post 9-11 is what would have happened if that was successful? If that was a successful deal and they had parked that van full of explosives up against the column, you would have lost way more than 3,000 people if the bottom of that building came out and fell over. You're talking Right, it wasn't a controlled, that would not have been a controlled demolition. That was kind of an uncontrolled demolition, and it was meant to bring those towers down in 1993. It did fail. The whole project failed, unlike 9-11. And then, of course, what didn't fail, especially domestically, was Oklahoma City. Jason, and that uh, that we know did not fail. And the next thing you know, we've got Joe Biden out uh, pimping the Clinton crime bill and, and, you know, creating a, uh, a witch hunt for domestic terrorists, which is kind of where we're at today. That would be a good segue to go into our top of the hour break. Jason Burmis is with us. We'll tell you how to find him. Uh, old school truther and we're hard to find, but we're out there. And please listen to people like Jason Burmis over whoever the newest fashionable uh, YouTube influencer is because this guy has read all the books. He's done all the research. He understands exactly what the root is. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the next segment. Stay with us. It's the Jack Blood Show. time I put it on my face, I'm able to breathe just a little bit deeper. 
What are people saying about MyTrueEssence.net? I'm going to tell you something serious, man. I just want to tell you, listeners, I bought some uh, some of that Modifolane from uh, Christy, and she gave me she got, she got made me up some of this emu oil mixed with some other stuff. I don't know what's in it, but I like the way it smelled. And I uh, started putting it on, rub, rubbing it on my foot, rubbing it on my knee, and, like, the second day, I didn't, you know, I, I just noticed it. I'm walking around. I'm like, damn, my knee is loose. I can tell you that that, that oil you gave me helped me with my carpal and my shoulder problem. If it wasn't, I couldn't even, I, I wouldn't be working. My ankles started to really be pesky and bother me. And I'm telling you, the pain just went away. That's the oil's rule. And when I put that on, it's just, it's like my skin came alive. MyTrueEssence.net In denial. Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks by Larry Hancock. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. Larry Hancock's book, In Denial, rips the cover off many of them. Using new files, it exposes things about the Bay of Pigs that no one has ever written about before. It shows why it really failed and why the United States did not learn from it. Secret Wars became a staple of U.S. covert operations and are still happening today. It also shows why other countries today are doing secret operations with more success. This is the book that puts what some want to deny into the light. In Denial, Secret Wars with Airstrikes and Tanks. Larry Hancock. For more information, go to Larry-Hancock.com. Pick up your copy of In Denial at Amazon.com in digital or physical form. Wall Wall Streetwindow.com Gold Silver, the stock market, wallstreetwindow.com. Perhaps you're invested deeply. Perhaps you're not in deep enough. Maybe you're thinking about getting started. Wallstreetwindow.com. Michael Swanson, the brilliant author of The War State, understood these trends professionally for many years, and now he gives you the benefit of his knowledge. Wallstreetwindow.com. Go there now. Go there now. Go there now. If you're born with a penis, you're a boy. And if you can have a baby, you're a girl. And if you don't like this song, cause you think what I'm saying's wrong, you're the dumbest human being in the world. Now, no lines or make nobody tense But it seems to me that these days We've all lost our common sense Well if this song offends you Friend it's time to dry your tears And face the facts that we've all known For at least a thousand years Yeah if you're born with a penis You're a boy And if you can have a baby You're a girl And if you don't like this song Cause you think what I'm singing's wrong pack of lies. You can watch them while they're talking, then you'll see it in their eyes. But if you completely trust them and you think our freedom's free, well, I hate to say it, buddy, but you're just as blind as me. And if you're born with a penis, you're a boy. And if you can have a baby, you're a girl. 
Chili.com. Revelation through conversation. You're listening to the Jack Blood Show because you give a crap and you want to know what to do about it. Now let's get to work. Here's Johnny. Second hour, uh, starting right now on the Jack Blood Show. We are live today. It is the 29th day of the year. Uh, just about to head into the dreaded 23. You thought 22 was bad. Uh, nah, it can't be worse than, than 22. 23 is going to be good. All my predictions are very positive for 2023. And if you believe that, uh, I got a bridge to sell you. Jason Burmis is with us on the broadcast, and Jason and I have not talked at all, not off-air, not on-air, any time for over a decade. It's so great to have you, Jason Burmis, on the broadcast today. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you, and i got to correct you. We were on a show together about two years ago, um, right? Maybe, maybe three, right around when COVID was kicking off, somewhere in the, in the March to maybe May uh, time, but we definitely were on a broadcast together. Okay. Well, I guess that kind of loads that question. Uh, how did you survive? How did you survive the lockdowns? Because that tore me up, man. I mean, I wonder if, if there isn't a bigger conspiracy than 9-11 on the whole COVID and COVID lockdowns. And now what we're allowed to talk about, what we weren't allowed to talk about brings out some more intriguing questions, which I don't think a lot of like half the American people certainly understand those questions and even have answers for them or think they do. Um, so let's start. Let's do that one, man, because that was a hard one to get through. I, I literally shut down during the election, uh, largely during COVID, because there there was no way to say the right thing. It was impossible. You know, that was a tough one for me, obviously. Um, I, you know, I was in upstate New York. Um, I kind of went on a journey, man, like I had been following it and I was joking about it all the way back in January at the time I was still monetized on YouTube. Uh, I had previously been working with uh, Luke from We Are Change. Uh, basically, we had gotten together at Bilderberg 2017. I'd, I had t- taken a pretty long hiatus from doing anything professionally and I was actually running a bar at the time. And I was sitting in my bar <laughs> in the morning doing doing. Uh, I was working security in a bar at that time. So well, if, well that's how I started. To, if to bars were bar, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I was working in an MSP company, and it was a soul crushing job. And I was in the office with the CEO. I took a night gig, and within a year, I was running the place. And it was around that time. I think it was. It must. It was either May or June. I was like, you know, I didn't hear anything about Bilderberg this year, and lo and behold, it was in Chantilly, Virginia. It's about a five-hour drive from where I'm at, so I actually called Luke up, and he told me that he was in a car with uh, Berwick and Tim Pool at the time on the way down there, uh-huh. and then uh, that Dan Dix was going to be there. 
So I was like, you know, F it. I, I run this place. I'm going to go down there myself. It was on a Friday, so they were already going. And basically what happened was at midnight, I left. I jumped in my car. I went to the normal parking lot about, I don't know, five minutes away from the hotel where all these people stay. I slept in my car for two hours, and I was extremely disappointed when I got there, and there was virtually no one there, um, you know, yeah. especially compared to 2012. Uh, th- this is kind of what motivated me to get back into things. Uh, you know, fast forward to me going on my own and getting back to covering COVID, I started to see it was definitely going to come here. And when I did start to see that was when I had gone to D.C. for an action for Assange event. Just It was probably like a couple weeks before CPAC, maybe a week or two. And I started seeing the panic and how people had started buying things and they were running out and that they were wearing masks all of a sudden, and that wasn't even a restriction yet. We weren't even in March. Yeah. So I, I remember my ride home. I did, you know, a, a chat with people on my YouTube. I said, hey, get prepared. I go, now would be the time to get your parents out of nursing homes because there's going to be some bad things that happen there. Now would be the time uh, to stock up on toilet paper and canned goods bare minimum. That's exactly what I did um, when I got home. And... Everything started to shut down, Jack. I thought I was going to be able to stay in New York. Um, I, I got to admit, there was a point where I had a bit of, a, you know, a mental breakdown, uh, kind of at that apex moment where you saw De Blasio talking about possibly doing Chinese-style uh, lockdowns in New York City. I have a lot of loved ones and family and friends uh, that were down there, and it was, you know, I cried on air. I was telling people to get out because I thought that they were really going to hardline quarantine that area. I'm glad they didn't. Uh, but by April, in my little upstate New York town where I saw metal signs on <laughs> on the streets telling me to mask up, I knew it was over. So um, I put some money together. I, I got a car. And I decided I was going to see the rest of the country uh, for myself all the way up to South Dakota. Right. Yeah. And that's what I did. I went to Ohio and I went to Missouri and I went to Kansas I ended up uh, going to Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, and where I ended up settling in uh, the Quad Cities in Iowa. Uh, Surprisingly, you know, Iowa didn't get the press like Florida got or even South Dakota, but it was the freest place I'd been. And um, actually, what sold it to me is I was sitting in a bar in Missouri, and Missouri, you know, very different from from even upstate New York, and I was enjoying myself. I was watching uh, an uh, LFA MMA event, and all of a sudden I hear Pat Miletic, who's a UFC Hall of Famer, I'd uh, done his show The Conspiracy Farm before, say that he was going to fight Michael Nunn, a former boxer, in a kickboxing match, and that they were going to have a live audience. And I'm like, a live audience? You know, I've been staying in hotels, and in certain places there were casinos that were kind of open, but everybody had all these restrictions, and it still wasn't the same. Maybe some of the mom-and-pop, you know, shops and bars were, you know, not restricted, but most places, no matter where I went, I forgot, I went to Maine. I went and saw the Jackman Brothers and actually ended up at uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's hideout the day before she, or the day after she got arrested um, on that journey, which was wild in itself. But when I went to the the basically I, I I contacted Pat he got me into the event and I enjoyed myself with like three thousand people and I was like wow well th- this is what I need and it kind of gave me hope um, you know I, I helped take care of my uh, nieces and uh, my sister 
they ended up coming out there with me. And we were out there by October 1st. You know, I had to wait for the DMV to open to take the trip. I had to put everything together. But I got us out of there. And really, I think it was one of the best things I've ever done. Because from that moment on that I was there, life was a whole lot more normal. There were certain things that were upsetting yeah. me. Nowhere oh, hey, man. But so I did, I did my time, uh, two years of it in Seattle. I lost my band that had two days before the, the cancellation of bars had opened for a national act, a, a famous, like, law, old school, the Alice Bag band, like, a, you know, it's a pretty good gig for us, and we had worked our way up to that point. I had worked my way up in a club, a giant club that had, like, a, over a thousand people a night coming, uh, to a manager position, and I lost everything. I mean, I just lost everything. My girl lost her job because they closed down, uh, she worked at the, this, tourist place called Pike Place Market here in Seattle. And on top of it, I basically had to lie to every single person that I was vaccinated, that I'm, I'm following the rules. I later, after they opened stuff up, the, they opened the bars up, I'm back working as a bouncer, lying about my vaccination, but getting people's vaccination cards, man. It was not a good time for me. I'm telling you, I'm scarred for life from this. Uh, mainly because I lived in Seattle. And as you kind of point out, like, geographically, where you lived seemed to really determine, like, what was going to happen for you. Um, but now we're starting to find out all this stuff as the releasing of documents and the releasing of research all becomes available to us and we're allowed to actually discuss it and talk talk about it. Is that the vaccines mess people up? Did you get one? Did you? Because I did. I'm gonna tell. I'm, tell me the truth because I didn't. I I did it. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. Jack, there was absolutely no chance at any point that I was going to let let the defense department inject me with anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean. But, it, it, so did seriously. you have to lie to everyone? Because there's people you have to lie to, and they go, "Are you vaccinated?" No, man. You have to. You have to just tell them, hey, they, you forced me to lie to you like this. Did I get the government uh, injection? Yes, sir, I did. And I loved every second of it. Bro, I I'm very fortunate. You know, I, I guess one of the things that I was really fortunate is that just at the time when uh, I was demonetized fully on YouTube. And it, it, funny thing was, it wasn't the COVID-1984 stuff. Although I, I, I've had about 50 videos either restricted or completely taken down. I've had my channel taken four times. I've fought them every single time on Twitter and gotten it back. Uh, I'm still, I'm running about three years unmonetized. But luckily, I was able to find another platform that I was actually able to make money on called Rockfin. And I ain't a good liar, man. I never have been. Uh, it just isn't me. I I'm brutally honest. Me neither, but if you force me to lie... Uh do you support, I, I, listen, the, I get do it, you and, support and I, the war? Because we'll have you locked up if you don't. Okay, whatever, <laughs> Zig Howe. I mean, you know, fuck, I guess. Well, I, you know, for me, luckily, I didn't have to bend the knee for economic reasons, right? And that would have been the only reason I did it, so that I could pay the rent and keep the heat on and, and all those other things. And even then, I don't know if I could have dealt with it. I, I was in a very uh, unique situation, I guess. A, a lot of people... Uh, weren't in my situation. So, so I was lucky. I also stopped flying, right? I wasn't going to do that. I started flying, uh, probably about 
four or five months ago, but I just drove everywhere. And I, for the most part, I'm still driving uh, everywhere that I can. I find it's more enjoyable. I, I know when I'm going to get there and how I'm going to get there, and I'm not going to have to wait for my bags, et cetera, et cetera. So in, in that sense, maybe a little liberating, but it, it still drives me mad. Like today when I went to go get coffee, entire families uh, still masking up here in Virginia right outside of D.C., and, and still geographically, I can see how much you got brainwashed just by the general area and how people are. It's a sad thing. You know, all the things coming out about the hate and lie shots, you should have, I mean, they told you. It's kind of like the whispered history. And what do I mean by that? Well, number one, if you were following this, you knew that Moderna had partnered with DARPA all the way back in 2013 in their strategic mRNA collaboration where they were going to fight what? Pandemic outbreaks, both natural and uh, biological warfare. You can go to their website. It's still there. I often do. I show people that this is where they started with their mRNA partnership that would also be collaborated with Merck, BARDA, AstraZeneca, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and a few others. By 2016, Jack, um, Moderna, again, by partnering with the Defense Department, DARPA, somebody that has no uh, duty to tell you the truth on any level, had patented a drug that had a 12-sequence DNA nucleotide identical to the COVID-1984 virus, not the shot. And then one of the other things that really hammered it home early on for me that this was not only a bioweapons attack, but that they were creating a bioweapon, was that you had Luc Monnier, who won the Nobel Prize, I believe it was in 2008, for his work with HIV, saying that HIV was a part of this virus. It and it, yes. exactly. it's, in the, it's in the pattern. You can see it. It's there. So there you know you're being attacked with a bioweapon, and then you find out that they want to inject you with a drug that did not qualify as a vaccine. In fact, anybody can type in $25 million grant via DARPA and Moderna. And there's an entire Exconomy article about how these are drugs very different from vaccinations. Okay? So you have them patent this drug in two and a half years after the partnership that has the DNA sequence of the virus that's been released on the public. Then you find out that that virus and others were being worked on not only on Wuhan, but also Chapel Hill and probably a, you know a dozen other black sites, Jack, there was just no way I was going to be injected. Bill Gates, you, you know, you, people don't realize this, but he was on television in April 2020 telling you that these were quote-unquote first-generation vaccinations and that you would be taking three to five of them. Again, April yeah. 2020. And then you would either be taking them annually or biannually as we're seeing now. So, you know, as you know, Jack, been in the game a long time in 2013, Put out a film called Shade the Motion Picture. Had a 20-minute section on Bill Gates, eugenics, geoengineering, and, of course, <laughs> bioengineering. So, you know, when I saw these things early on, I knew that I wasn't going to be a part of it. Um, no matter how much I kicked and screamed and showed people the documentation, you can only reach so many people. But at the same time, I was kind of prepared for that because I'd been in the game so long, and 9-11 was that realization. So, you know, as we move into 2023 and, you know, we move away from even the constitutional republic and the checks and balance system that I love, 
we're moving towards not only a track trace database society because that's in place, that's the past, but the fourth industrial revolution, the Internet of Bodies and a transhumanist movement. Uh, so now my goal, Jack, I mean, i got to be honest, obviously I want to fight these people, I want to see justice, yeah. uh, but I intend to die human. And I hope that a lot of other people, you know, I want to live a long time. I want to have a happy life. I smile a lot. I'm generally a happy guy. I want people to lead that charge and resist in every way, shape, and form this very real uh, movement. But you see if you can attach someone's bank account. Uh, that gets into digital money now. If you can attach people where they can go and wh- where they're, what they're allowed to say and all the rest of it, I mean, it gets very difficult to fight it, and and this is a problem that that this generation needs to solve. Because look, man, I I got gray hair too. I'm not like I already put my time in, and it makes me really sad that people aren't doing that from an influencer level with all the different modalities that they have available to them. Because I was the first podcaster ever. You were the second. You know, I mean, we didn't have all the social media. We didn't have all this stuff available to us. And yet, look at the impact that we made. You know, so there's no excuse. Look, man, let me just say this. Francis Boyle, Professor Francis Boyle, who broke the anthrax case after 9-11, everything he said ended up happening. They made it in Ames, Iowa. They, they manufactured it there. They sent it to Fort Detrick. And what ended up happening? They found a guy, well, two guys. First the wrong guy, and then the other guy killed himself. But it was an inside job. That's admitted. It's an inside job. Now, you can say it was a disgruntled employee, and he was a terrorist who happened to work at Fort Detrick. That guy made the anthrax. It sent it out, and that's exactly what Francis Boyle said. He was dead on. Now, when he analyzed uh, the COVID, he said exactly what you said. There's HIV in it. There's a pattern that is not natural this is man-made okay he said that you know what he's saying now the new one's coming that's even worse it's even worse it it is it is so highly engineered that now it's not only uh highly contagious but it will kill people and there will be bodies in the street because i think at the end of the day when people look at covid they're like well where are the bodies in the street? This isn't the plague. This isn't, you know, the Spanish flu or wherever, you know, this isn't smallpox. This is like I don't even know anyone that died from it. I don't even know anyone that's been really sick from it that much. I know people that have been sick from the vaccine, but all of that. Uh, if you could comment on, I mean, that's that's where we're going because <laughs> James Corbett and I back 15 years ago outlined that COVID would happen, and I think we nailed it. So, I mean, can we look at the writing on the wall and say this is where it's going? You know, I think we are headed in that direction. Uh, But just like I said when you had this release of a bioweapon, I don't think that they would release something that they didn't have some kind of treatment and cure for for those that um, are at the top. And one of the things that I said very early on before any information was out there, was basically, look, you know, this might be zoological, but I'll believe that when the billionaires start start dying. Hold um, on, let me stop you there, because yeah. I want people to know that that's a great question. Why would you unleash something that would hurt the rich people? But, but you know that there are two different kinds of ways to live. 
One is being rich and eating organic food and not eating poison all the time. And the other is poor people who eat nothing but poison. What if the, the new, I mean, again, this is what Francis Boyle is predicting and, and others that are in the know. What if the new one that comes along only hits people on a binary or trinary fashion where it coincides with corn syrup? or whatever, that rich people don't eat. I mean, maybe they're okay. Well, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of rich people out there that also kind of partake. They can't help themselves. Uh, but when you look at this virus in particular... Trump is dead, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, they knew. You know, you can look at the DARPA documents. They knew very early on that, what, ivermectin was cheap and actually effective. But we got the Bernaysian talking points of alone together and safe and effective via these shots that they already had on the shelf and were waiting to upscale. You know, Ray Kurzweil, uh, the transhumanist out there, points out that a lot of people um, say, well, how did they get the uh, quote-unquote vaccine so fast? Well, they sequenced it in two to three days, and then DARPA basically said, hey, we need someone to print it up. Let's get our Defense Department buddy Musk to do it. Tesla's not a car company. They partner with CureVac, and then they print up the mRNA hate and lie shots. You know, maybe that's where we can go in the next segment. But it's great that Elon is releasing these documents. He's not releasing them. He's giving them to journalists, and then they're releasing them. But we haven't seen the past decade. He's the number one Defense Department contractor out there. Starlink is a front yeah. for Blackjack, the other uh, program. And, again, without Elon Musk's company that was subsidized by the government and taxpayer dollars, Tesla, yeah. they wouldn't have been able to that's right up all this mRNA. No, that, I mean, that's totally right, and this is a good segue, and you are a great uh, broadcaster, Jason Burmes, because you're reading my mind of where I did want to go. Why the Future Doesn't Need Us. Read that paper uh, by Ray Kurzweil and uh, the uh, the head of Sun Systems. So it's it, Bill Joy, and it's, Bill it Joy, ends yeah. with a conversation with Ray Kurzweil at a futurist convention. And for those that don't know about Ray Kurzweil, he's the man behind the age of spiritual machines and the synchronicity and has now spent over a decade at google as what the head of their immortality department calico jack but he, he he'll say it these people this is what we've always found out jason is that they will say stuff right out in the open that people can't digest so they do they do tell you and I believe that's kind of a freemasonic thing they kind of have to cremation of care they you know go confess at the the church confessional you have to confess it somehow and they do confess it and so it's always out there uh just before we go to break and thank you for leading me in um warp speed so trump People love Trump, but they hate the vaccine, which was interesting because the Biden and Harris and all these guys said, we're not taking a Trump vaccine. And then as soon as they took over, they pushed it and made us all take it. Uh, but Trump is still out saying he saved hundreds of millions of people. He's the father of the vaccine. I don't know how that jibes with his audience who freaking hates it. You know, I, I, I actually speak on the Reawaken America tour about transhumanism. And, you know, a lot of these people, the vast majority of them, are Trump supporters. And, yes, the vast majority of them are also anti-vaccine. And I think it just speaks to that need for a hero and that somebody else is going to 
take yeah. care of things for you. And that, I think, also was the success of the disinformation campaign via the QAnon sense, this mystique that there's this underground group working through these public <laughs> white hats like Trump or like Musk, and they say the right thing 70 to 80% of the time. So I, I just believe that's enough for these other people that aren't willing to go down the deep, dark rabbit holes that they must and confront reality. We've been trained to be children for the vast majority of our lives, Jack, and we've got to step up and say Santa Claus isn't real, these people ain't our daddy, and we're not going to be children anymore. Yeah, e even if their name is Trump. I have no Trump derangement syndrome. I totally understand why people like him. I think he could be a little bit rogue and unpredictable, which I don't hate. Okay? Uh, I'm good with all of that. I don't know. But let's take a break and come back and pick up where we left off on this. Jason Burmis is with us. We'll tell you how to find him when we get back off of this. It's the Jack Blood Show, only on the Ocelli Radio Network. Stay with us. Callers, tools, or anyone else who happens to get on the air at Ocelli.com do not necessarily reflect the views of Ocelli.com or Chuck Ocelli, and we are not responsible for any stupidity which might ensue. Thank you.
Yeah, hey, we're back. It's the final lap of the show today. We're live. I'm super happy to have him. It's Jason Burmis. Thank you, Jason, for being with us. You're all over the place. How do people find out your, where you are, your work, and, and get involved and support you? Yeah, I do a daily show, 8 a.m. to uh, 10 a.m. over at redvoicemedia.com, but you can find the first hour uh, live and free across platforms. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's on Rumble. I also am on Twitter at that time, and then, of course, uh, Rockfin, and then you can come over if you want. But if you don't want to pay, and that's fine, we release the second hour in two weeks video-wise, but you can also just come over to Podbean where we're streaming the audio live, and it also allows my audience to call in live as well. Uh, so I've been really blessed, Jack. You know, it may be yeah. dark times, but uh, I'm able to make a living at this. I'm certainly not getting rich, uh, but I'm trying to get my voice out there in any way, shape, or form. And, and that's why I do the Reawaken America tour, right? I, I'm not a Christian conservative by yeah. any means. I've never put on a MAGA hat. Uh, but at the same time, if I'm just preaching to the choir, right, what am I doing? So when I get the opportunity uh, to shed light on Musk and transhumanism and the Defense Department and the fact that uh, the highest amount of Starlink satellites out there are in the Ukraine and they have over 12,000 dishes and they're linking into the ghost and sidewinder drones that are killing people and raining death showers, I think that's important. Well, Elon Musk was asked about, uh, was it overthrowing um, Bolivia? And he said, well, we'll coup anyone we want to. Correct. Look, I mean, the, I think this kind of leads us into to the last lap of our discussion is the people that are trusted now. You look at Elon Musk. I mean, it, why the future doesn't need us. He would know. <laughs> I think he knows that. <laughs> and so, and then back in the day, remember, it was Peter Thiel was going to mm -hmm. come save us and everything. And that guy won't even talk to anyone anymore. He, he is so influential. He, that's the most uncovered story um, out there. If you want to get him on your show, good luck. I mean, you know, I think Lex Friedman probably will get him. Speaking of, of the new generation of podcasters, I mean, how, why do we keep falling for these heroes? And, and I'm going to put Ron Paul on a shelf because that was an actual guy that did act, And that's, you know, what happened to him is they didn't have any dirt on him. They didn't have him in bed with a bunch of Chinese spies or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It, and and. I did 9-11 stuff with him. I did 9-11 stuff with Rand Paul. I spoke at at events with Rand Paul, anti-war, 9-11. You know, like I, I just got to root for those guys. But all of these guys that are up today, like who are these people? Why do people trust them so much? Is this a PSYOP in its own, right? Well, when you talk about Lex Friedman, right, he's DARPA. Um, but at the same time, when you talk about those people, DARPA, you only work there for about five years, and they certainly uh, utilize commercial I interest. went to MIT. I was in the MIT Media Lab. If anybody knows how that works, it's me. And that guy, because when you see – sorry to interrupt you, Jason, no. but when you see the people he has on his show and how they kind of justify the stuff they do, like spying and everything else – 
And he's just very mild-mannered about all of that. Of course, he's very protective over Israel and the rest of it. So, hey, man, I mean, he's Jewish, so that's cool. He's Russian. It's it's. How is that guy getting millions and millions of views? See, this, I think, is when we look at the Twitter dump, we don't, we're looking so much at the people that were suppressed, we're not looking enough at the people that were elevated. Well, it's not just the elevation. We're only looking at the past few years, right? Uh, and who are they highlighting? People that have Fox uh, News shows like Dan Bongino or people that are very well-funded like Charlie Kirk. And that's not for me to come after Charlie Kirk. I'm actually very happy that Charlie Kirk uh, is kind of at the forefront of talking about real aspects of transhumanism. He's far from perfect, but okay. at, you know, at the same time, I, I've said it like this, Jack. I want to know the relationship between intelligence and Twitter from the outset. I want all the documents dumped WikiLeaks style, and I want to know those that had shadow bans and suggestion bans, um, as dirty as they may be, uh, people like David Duke, for instance, right? David Duke was on Twitter for a while. Obviously, there was a process in which he was taken off, and you know that they make these person associations. Who were they associating with, quote unquote, white supremacy, right. et cetera, back in the day? Uh, just like the, you know, we, we talked about fusion centers and that MIAC leak, right? That uh, report that was showing people that had America freedom to fascism were being lumped into those that were reading the Turner diaries, right, Jack? So, to me, I think the the main thing is the reason that those people are getting millions of views, somebody like Lex Friedman, is that YouTube has allowed that. It is a Trojan horse civilian system. YouTube doesn't have to turn a profit. So the algorithm inherently works against somebody like myself that uh, – let me give you an example, Jack. My, my channel back in the day, I had put it up way back – all the way back in 2007 when you could only post 10-minute videos – I had not posted uh, on YouTube since 2012, and the last video that I did actually went pretty viral. Uh, and it was this interaction with a uh, sheriff um, protesting the body scanners that have now just become commonplace. I, waited, I, I didn't post on that channel till 2017 or 18. And the first video I did um, was a video on, on the TV series True Detective. Right, And the reason I did that is because, uh, if you don't know, True Detective essentially is about high-level occultic pedophiles and the networks that surround them. I had eight people watching me live, Jack. That should have killed me <laughs> on the algorithm, right? At eight, right? Well, yeah. I did it. That video got 40,000 views, okay? Well, because you don't know. That's like our interview today, Jason. You don't know a few years from now how this is going to age and it could be huge you just don't know well well i'm just saying i always tell days. i always tell people that like i used to be on 40 first time you hosted my show for me you were used to be the guest host on my show we had 49 radio stations and like all kinds of stuff and you could hit like uh, i don't know half a million people no problem this is before social media you know look i get it it things can by the way, I, I just want to say I had an autographed copy of the Turner Diaries, and, and you could ask me <laughs> questions about that later. Um, so I don't know. So what I don't like are people, and I'm going to go into this, Jason, because you were working with and affiliated with InfoWars. It's on your bio, right? Mm -hmm. And you know I was, okay? Mm -hmm. um, 
the first person to really blacklist me was Alex Jones. <laughs> I mean, I got I got blacklisted hard. And later, Webster Tarpley and Jim Mars and all these people, they, they weren't supposed to tell me they're not allowed to come on my show. And it made sense to me because I would get calls back when I was affiliated with Alex Jones. He'd go, don't have this person on. You can't, and John Statmiller, same guy. They, they would just go, you can't have this person on your show because I don't like them and stuff. That's blacklisting. So how could you complain about blacklisting when you yourself blacklisted people i've never done that man so i don't know yeah no i again uh that's certainly something that i've never done is told somebody to have someone on or not to have somebody on uh Did jones you and i by alex i mean when's the last time you were on alex jones show well no i was just about to talk about that so okay you know obviously um jones and i work together uh very very closely for a long time the first guy that he ever gave a show to while he started the network and I think at one time, the last time I had been on there was like 2012 to talk about Sandusky and the uh, the child abuse ring there. And then for whatever reason, um, you know, I was in contact with some of the guys behind the scenes, Aaron Dykes in particular, who still is a good friend of mine and uh, yeah. has moved on to Truthstream Media. Yeah. But, you know, certainly there was an aspect um, of, of what seemed to be blacklisting there and it wasn't until uh that same trip jack we go all the way back to that same trip to dc um so <laughs> you can go watch the video too by the way it's up on the internet jack uh i'm in dc it's february 2020 just before everything's kicking off i'm at an action for assange event and all of a sudden i see that alex jones is going to have a free speech event with all these uh kind of like acolytes of new media including Gavin McGinnis and uh, Nick Fuentes. I remember Michael Flynn Jr. was there. Um, at the time, Millie Weaver was still working for him, et cetera, et cetera. And I was there, and it was happening. And I'm like, well, I'm here, and I'm covering stuff, so I'm just going to go get a hotel room at this place. So I'm going to crash it. <laughs> you know, why wouldn't I do that? So I do. And I see Rob Dew, who's the main producer there. I hadn't seen Dew in a long time, but we've kind of we kind of went back and forth at, at points where I was critical of Jones on Twitter. So there was that relationship, and we'd never uh, lost each other's number. So we had texted back and forth for some time. Uh, you know, I've never asked to go on any show. You know, whether or not you know it's it's Alex Jones or anything. So uh, whatever. And I'm doing an interview with. Um, Rob do, and I'm confronting him on the fact that uh, at the time the organization had not covered the OPCW leaks, and uh, they were WikiLeaks documents that proved that there was no uh, chemical attack or attack yeah. at all in Great Syria. And I, yeah, yeah, and I thought it was a big deal, and, the, and right at that moment um, were some pretty significant things via the Assange case that weren't wasn't being covered uh, by Alex, and this was supposed to be about free speech. So in the middle of that interview. Alex busts in um, with his wife, uh, his new wife, who, someone I had met, and yeah. he immediately goes for my throat, Jack. <laughs> like, immediately goes for my throat. He starts talking about how I begged for my job back, et cetera, et cetera, all these things. And you can watch the ensuing battle. I think I, oh. I, I handle it pretty well. And I go, Alex, listen, can we talk about Assange? Isn't it the end of free speech in this country? I go, dude, you're, you're bigger than, like, O'Reilly ever was. You would hold my feet to the fire if I were this big. So, yeah, and go watch it, you know, and he does. So finally, he does it, 
and he, he says he, uh, he would do a even more extensive interview with me after the fact. Great. So what, in essence, was really going to be uh, an uh, event about Roger Stone being arrested, and certainly uh, there were a lot of aspects of that, turned into everybody mentioning Assange, essentially. And I was filming it. I had access. I had spent some time with Dew afterwards, Harrison Smith. I got to talk to him, and I got to challenge him on Trump over many things, uh, you know, for a few hours. It was great. And I kept in touch with Dew, and I kept pushing for the Alex Jones interview, and eventually I got it. Uh, I think we did something in – it was either – that was in February, so I think we did something in either April or May of 2020. And uh, – after that, lo and behold, Jack, they reached out to me, and I probably hosted the show a dozen times the, the fourth hour or whatever. I didn't know. Oh, my bad, because I don't watch it. <laughs> no, so no, no, no. I, it's it. fine. And here's the deal. He didn't bring me back. Like, I host, <laughs> well, I've hosted I get, again, Jack, show, I didn't like get brought 50, back. I've 50 times I've hosted the Alex Jones show. They didn't bring me back. That would be fun. Well, again, I, you know, I, I just kind of, I think I poked the bear in that general direction where, you know, how is Alex going to come at me? He would have done the same thing to me if I was, yeah. you know, at, at that thing. So, you know, I, I think that he has his moments of clarity. Uh, I think that there's still a ton that we do disagree on. But in general, you know, he's one of those guys that, that brought me in. And just like I said, um, you know, I'm, o I'm always going to speak to, as many people as I possibly can, right? Even if, like, if Rachel Maddow reached out to me and wanted me to host her show, as much as I hate Rachel Maddow, I, I, I would be a fool not to do it, right? No, you didn't. You're not allowed. No. But, but at the same Tom time, Tom Brady you know, can't go to the Jets. That's like, this certain things just can't happen. All right. No, but for real, I just want people to know. And they're like, well, you, you know, you're red-assed about Alex Jones because whatever, he, he ejected you out of his world in the middle of a campaign, by the way, where uh, a Ron Paul Republican Deborah Medina was about to become governor of Texas, and he killed that. I think that was his worst moment. Like all the people, Jason, Jason Burmis with us on the broadcast, all the people, New York Times, uh, The Post, like everyone that, that wrote me to, to go – Tell me about Alex Jones. I would tell them that stuff, and they just didn't want to hear it. They just want to hear I was scamming people and whatever. Like, their narrative was so clear, and I would tell them he is against – he would talk about his his fans as if they were pieces of shit. I mean, he the shit that he did like that that I thought everyone should want to know, how he killed – Deborah Medina for governor in 2010 in Texas, which I think she was a Ron Paul uh, Republican, and, and that would have just changed the whole climate politically uh, all over the world. And, you know, man, that's the stuff that really bothers me the most. So now we look at all the the big influencers, the big podcasters like Tim Pool, and then our buddy Luke Rudowski is on that show all the time. I think he, I think he's the voice of reason on that show. I try not to watch it too much, but mm -hmm. but give me your your specs on uh, on modern podcasting. I just don't. I'm trying to feel it, but I just I'm not. Well, I, I think that. Um... These people, in some cases, have blind spots. In other cases, they don't want to lose their audience. In other cases, they want to make money. Um, when I look at Tim Pool, right, he's been in the game for a long time. He worked for Vice. 
And so, you know, Luke and I, we'd worked together. Um, you know, at one point I had to leave because all the demonstration go on my own. Um, but I was heading down to D.C., for uh, the January 6th stuff before it happened, the, the Trump speech and the ellipse. I had actually been there uh, in December and kind of been in contact with Luke. I, I was at the stop to steal there. And it just so happened that just before that, uh, Luke said, well, do you want to stay here uh, for, the, for the first night? So that's the first time that I'd met Tim and I went to his house. And, you know, it's this big place out in the country, very hippie-esque, and had some conversations with Tim and, you know, uh, Tim was pretty standoffish to the idea that the virus was a bioweapon, uh, you know, certain aspects of that. But they recently had me on, actually. So they had me on probably about two to three months ago. And no one censored me, and I was allowed to talk about Elon Musk. And, uh, you know, the only time I think that Tim got uncomfortable was when I was talking about the Utah uh, satanic ritual abuse case with high-level <laughs> people within the government. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, again, that I'm always do does it. it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I'm gonna do my thing. Um, I think the number one, they're good for the algorithm because, in a lot of ways, somebody like Tim Pool will still keep you in the right-left paradigm. You're constantly yeah. hearing the buzzwords of the day. I don't even like using the term woke. Right. I'm gonna ask you this: does, does Luke have to kind of bite his tongue on it, or am I just like getting that from watching it? He has I, to know, like. I'd be a liar if I told you I watched that show more than five times, right? right? <laughs> but well, no, that's the algorithm. It constantly wants to show itself to me on YouTube. It's just like it, it, it it's doing very well. It's not hidden. It's not shadow banned. It's not suppressed or whatever. When I look on the okay, so that's. And they're considered kind of rightish, right? Jason? Yeah, I guess so. I, you I know, got I'm going to have Ian Crossland on the show soon, so you I know, I think that Ian was no, probably. No, no, no. I don't want you to kill Jason Burmis. Likes you guys. Don't don't take it the wrong way. Have him. <laughs> I want you to be on their show. In fact, I think you should be on it every day. But when you look at like, okay, that's kind of like they're right leaning. When you look at all their woke stuff, and I do it too, man. But I mean, because. The left has gone crazy. When you look at, like, the left podcasters and the Substack stuff, and you look at Matt Tybee, Jimmy Dore, Glenn Greenwald, The Gray Zone, like, all that stuff, that seems like what we were doing back in the day. Like, what's wrong with that? Nothing. I like Jimmy Dore a lot. You know, that there is a show, like, I, I uh, was recently in communication uh, with their producer, and I used to go on uh, Graham Elwood's show. In fact, I went on Elwood's show, I believe, on January 6th and showed some of my footage. Um, you know, I, I was at the Capitol. I, I went up on the second level. I filmed a lot of it. Um, I, I think you're right. I think Jimmy Dore has a, a lot less blind spots than most people. Uh, at the same time, the Medicare But he doesn't all... know. He, no, he mispronounces, like, the Gulf of... Tonkin. Like, he just, <laughs> he just doesn't know stuff. Well, no, I, well, I think it's also the political ideology thing, too. You know, I've become really good friends uh, with the people over at the Convo Couch, Pasta Jardula in particular. And here's some guy that was like a Bernie bro and an election guy and a Medicare for all guy. And one of the first things, and we met each other and started doing uh, broadcast together before COVID. I said, look, man, I'm all for people getting um, you know, the medical attention they need. I do think that should be an inherent right. But unfortunately, a system of Medicare for all would dictate certain measures and certain medicines that you would be forced to take to be a part of it. 
And when he actually saw that start to come to fruition uh, during the COVID-1984 nightmare, he said, you know what, that is dangerous. And, and I think that uh, Jimmy Dore still hasn't made that connection, even after being injured no, from the jab he, itself. But look at the whole, if you watch Jimmy Dore, the podcaster, go check him out for the last two years, you've watched him learning and getting burned by all the po- – I mean, we all go through this, Jason. You get burned by – Ron Paul's the only one that didn't burn me. I'm sorry. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but he, he just stuck to his convictions. Everything he said matched up. He never contradicted it. He was never a, a hypocrite. He was what he was. But you fell into the Bernie stuff. You fell into the AOC stuff. You fell in, and, and Jimmy Dore is constantly – going fuck how did i fall into this I, like i don't uh, this is bad and you could see him he's like a baby you you see them going through the truth movement the way we did and it you man if there's a way to skip all of that i wish i had a pill to give people it's called the black pill you, <laughs> you just skip all of the going through the years and years of phases until you're burned out and you could be effective. It... You know, he's doing a good job of waking up a, a lot of people that wouldn't have been listening otherwise. Um, like I said, I think Jimmy is probably at the top of his game. I think that the gray zone... Greenwald, Greenwald and to be. But none of these guys are 9-11 people. They won't... If you say 9-11, they'll, they'll talk about JFK, they'll talk about aliens, they'll talk about whatever. They, they just won't go there. They well, I'll tell you what, Greenwald admits that at least. At least there's some humility there. Um, you can watch the Tim Dillon interview with Greenwald from this year, and he puts him on the spot about 9-11, and Greenwald basically says there are some places where you kind of have to choose as a journalist not to go. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I played that clip, and I, I at least appreciate that stark reality. Matt Taibbi, I had a back and forth with when he was writing uh, basically a hit piece about myself and the other guys uh, via Luke yeah. Haines for the Rolling Stone blog. He did. Yeah. Um, yep, and I've reached out to him uh, prior to getting him access to all this censorship uh, via what YouTube was doing on censorship, and I wasn't able to get in touch with him. I do appreciate some of his work. Uh, I, I guess it's the best we got, just like Tucker's the best we got. But what we got to constantly do, and even Alex, the best we got, you have to point out when they're wrong, why they're wrong, try to do it respectfully and with evidence, and then try to make them make their counterpoint, right? Uh, because I'm not going to sit here, Jack, and tell everybody I've got every answer or that I'm right about everything. I'm not. I'm a human being. I'm going to make mistakes. But I'm going to lay out the evidence for you. That is the power of the Internet. That's the power of this uh, video broadcasting form of podcasting. And when I make a better point and it can't be retorted, well, then you still have to answer that question. And maybe yeah. you can change somebody's mind. That's what this is really all about. Well. Good, uh, good, uh, 90 minutes, Jason. I really appreciate it. I mean, we barely scratched the surface because I, like, I don't get to talk. It, really, the truth is, I've got like five friends in Seattle I can talk to about this stuff. And then my listeners here, we can talk about it. It's not enough people. <laughs> we, need, like, we certainly need more people to have like the in-depth rabbit hole conversations and and not to, you know, confuse people because we're talking about so many things at once but 
just to like hone in on an issue and just really dig it out and just really make it happen. Um, so my prediction for uh, 2023 is uh, good. Go with yours. What's my prediction in 2023? Yeah. Nothing great, Jack. I hate to tell everybody. Uh, I tell people this. You want a hero? It ain't coming. You better look in that mirror and figure out how you're going to navigate these very real situations of a push for globalism and a predator class takeover. I'm not giving up on humanity, but I'm telling everybody that if you're, if you're, if you want something different, you got to do it in your own life first, period. Dollar is king. Dollar will still be king. So don't, don't get out of it. Um, buy Bitcoin. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, uh, man, I mean, it's going to be war election. This is the last year. I don't want to do an end-year wrap-up, Jason, because it's, what is it, the election and the war? That's what we're talking about post-COVID. I mean, there's almost nothing to talk about. We have completely, apparently lost the information war. So let's predict this. In 2023, we get an edge back. We get a little, like, foundation back. That's that's what I'd like to see happen, man. A little more education, a little more information, so people know where everything came from. That's That's the whole justice of it. Well, I hope that's the case, and I'm certainly not giving up on humanity. I think that uh, we are indeed special, and I think that, you know, good and evil exist. So, again, in your daily life, do what you can to be on that good side, and it doesn't necessarily have to be what I'm doing or Jack Blood is doing or people on the front lines of protests are doing. Um, you know, you can get involved in so many ways locally uh, that, again, it's time to look in the mirror and step up on the issues that matter to you. There you go. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Uh, Jason Burmis, just Google him on the Googler, and you will find him and look at all his stuff, man. I, I appreciate you. Come back again, please. I hope you do. This will is do. the end of the Jack Blood Show. Please support us, jackblood at hotmail.com. Send us a message. Tell us what you want to hear, and if you could... PayPal, Zell, please support us over here. It is the end of the year. We need it. Thank you so much. The Chuck and Jelly Show coming up right now. Be bold.
Chili.com.